This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me on Pop Culture Confidential. So, tears and joy and grief and friendship, that's It's a Sin. And that's also what it's like watching the series. It's a Sin is a beautiful, vibrant, and daring five-part miniseries starring my guest this week, Nathaniel Curtis. And it's created and written by Russell T. Davis, who we know from Queer as Folk, Years and Years, and A Very English Scandal, to name a few. Davis has described It's a Sin as his most personal work. It's a series set in the 1980s about the devastating HIV-AIDS epidemic. A group of young gay men coming of sexual age in the early 80s have come to London. They're feeling the freedom to be themselves for the first time. But the fast-developing AIDS crisis in the UK, the lack of information, homophobia, and the loss of many lives impacts their lives in devastating ways. The young cast at the center of the show is brilliant. Ollie Alexander plays Richie. My guest, Nathaniel Curtis, is Ash Mukherjee. And Jill is played by Lydia West. These are a few of the tight-knit group sharing the apartment in London called the Pink Palace. Jill is based on Russell T. Davis' good friend, actor and longtime LGBTQ ally, Jill Nalder. She cared for gay and bi men suffering from the disease and has campaigned and fundraised for the cause. And she plays Jill's mother on It's a Sin. This is the first TV role for Nathaniel Curtis, and it's stunning how he and the other young players maneuver the emotional roller coaster, working with intimacy coordinators and putting Russell T. Davis' words to powerful portrayals on the screen. Here is It's a Sin. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? I'll be stinking rich. I want to learn everything. I just want to be happy. Here we are, the pink palace. I'm going to be an actor. Stupid little dreamer. If you leave now, you don't come back. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. Naughty boy. Have you seen this? There are boys dying all over the world, but no one knows anything. Do you seriously think there's an illness that only kills gay men? I don't believe it. Now hit me with those lasers, please. He went into hospital. Ambulance. Shame on you. He loved your son. What's wrong with that? Do you think I should have known? I've got some news for you. No, it's mine. I'm going to live. So, Nathaniel Curtis, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Congratulations for It's a Sin. It's incredible. It's really your first television acting job, right? Yeah. Has there been an interesting brush with fame moment thus far? It's it's all a bit odd, really. It's I mean, it's incredibly flattering and it's very, very strange. I think that with it being locked down as well, I think that because we're spending so much time inside, um, that when I do kind of venture out into the into the big wide world to go for a food shop or go for a walk. Um, having people recognize you is quite strange. It's, I mean, I'm very tall and so I'm used to people staring at me anyway, but it, now it's, it's very weird. <laughs> we'll get used to it. There'll be more. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your background, where you were born and raised. And, and... So I, I am from Bournemouth 
Well, I'm from just outside Bournemouth, which is on the, on the south coast of England. I'm half Indian and half English. Um, there weren't many children of colour um, from where, where I was from at the time. And so it's very interesting to kind of, it was growing up in that environment where I didn't really see many people like myself. It was, it was, it was quite interesting. And then obviously coming to London um, when I was 19, where there's so much more than just you know, the beach, which is kind of all Bournemouth really had at the time. So it's, yeah, so that's that's me. I went went to drama school in London and then I've stayed ever since. Are there aspects of Ash in you? Yeah, I think all of the characters are very relatable. And I think that with Ash, Ash is much cooler than I ever was and <laughs> ever will be. I doubt um, that. <laughs> no, I promise. I was not like that at 19. Um, and he he's much more... Th- he thinks a lot more about what he says before he speaks, which I definitely don't. And but he, the way that he cares for his family and or his friends who are his family, I think is definitely something that I aspire to. Um, and I, I worked in education um, before it's a sin, and so uh, in between auditions, and so the the in episode four when he becomes a teacher and he's in the library, it's so that's kind of it was like it was a bit like. I know exactly what's going on here, here which is really exciting. <laughs> now, it's funny because the incredible Russell T. Davis, he said the same thing, that he he was 18 in the 80s, and this is his most autobiographical work, but he definitely wasn't as cool as these kids. He was mostly writing, but it still is very close to him, and it took him a long time to write. How did he talk to you guys about his experiences and, and the feelings of writing, making this series finally? Beautiful thing about Russell is that he write, he pours himself into his scripts and It's a Sin is hands down one of the best scripts I've ever read. Um, and we, in terms of Russell, he didn't really, he didn't tell us what we should be doing. He let us, he did let us explore the characters and he let us find those relationships, but you didn't, there wasn't an awful lot of work to do because it was all there in front of us. And Russell is, Russell's such a lovely man, such a kind caring friendly man that every time he was there on set he was like he was it was like he was part of the gang which was really <laughs> really sweet actually but as his writing on the show this wonderful group at the, at the pink palace your group there as the troubling news starts developing they start hearing little things tell me a little bit about how the different characters and ash of course react to the hiv aids news that's coming through jill definitely takes it the most seriously to begin with um, I think that you have um, Ash and Roscoe and Richie who don't really, they're a bit blasé about it. They're still, they're still having sex. They're still, they're like, Richie has this wonderful, wonderful monologue, which Ollie does the most incredible job with in episode two, where he's talking about how he doesn't really believe in it. And I know that's been used for a lot of promotional material, but it is such a wonderful speech because it's, it, it's just what all of them are thinking at the time. It's not fair. Every time we go out, it's this shit. The whole thing is a pack of lies. No, but that man Pete, he said he met this man who said he was... Oh, he said, she said, they said. They're always saying something. But do you want to know the truth? Do you know what it really is, AIDS? It's a racket. It's a money-making scheme for drugs companies. Do you seriously think there's an illness that only kills gay men? It can calculate that you're gay and kill you, but no one else. Hmm. What about bisexuals? Do they only get sick every other day? Um, And then as it starts to hit close to home, it affects people really close to them 
that's when they start to take things very seriously. And I think that in episode three, the real turning point for them is when they all go and get tested for HIV. Mm-hmm. And after that, then Ash, Ash in particular, he kind of he knuckles down. He joins Jill in that in in the investigation into it, and he and what he can do, um, and he, the way that they the way that they both then react to it is very different to say Richie and Grosco to an extent. Who are more in denial over the yeah. whole thing. It was interesting. I saw that you had on your Twitter, viewers are actually Googling information as they're watching the series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's it's incredible to see the, the response. The response to the show has been wonderful because there are so many people who are saying that it's a great show, which of course it is, but people are hungry to educate themselves on it, on HIV and AIDS now, which is absolutely incredible as an actor it means so so much that the work that we've all put into it is making people want to learn making making people want to make a difference and i think that it's it's such an honor to be a part of this production for many reasons and that is a lovely surprise that comes from it what kind of information are they looking for i i wasn't educated on hiv and aids at school i think if it was mentioned it was in passing and it and it's such an integral part of history and the fact that it's not talked about is shameful and i think that people what you know the amount of what i learned just the statistics as a as a base level um in research for this show i think that people are wanting to know what what happened and i think also people are wanting to you know especially after one of the characters has a seizure people asked people were googling can hiv and aids cause seizures and i think that learning people are wanting to learn a, what they can do to help, and B, exactly how it affects people, because it's not really, you know, people aren't really sure. And it's kind of stunning to think about it that we hardly, our kids and, and, and now are hardly getting information, and in the 80s there was no information coming through, um, which you portray so well on the show, the sort of stages of denial. Um but talking about yourself as an actor, this was a pretty intense role to start your television career with. I mean... This, you know, sex, but also such emotional highs, low trauma, crying, dancing. Um, what was the most challenging for you going into it? I think the thing is, the set was so wonderful to be on. Every day, every day we'd go in and we'd dance in someone's trailer and we'd all, it was a family. It was an enormous family. The cast, the crew, everyone just got along and there was so much love poured into production from absolutely everyone that the days when there were the emotional scenes to film or the intimate scenes which I think I struggled with because I didn't struggle but it was nerve-wracking at first I've not been on screen before let alone taken off all my clothes on screen (laughs) but we had wonderful intimacy coordinators and the crew was so patient and so kind and everyone who I worked with was just so wonderful and the days where it was a little bit tough there were a few more hugs given out but you mentioned intimacy and coordinator. I actually had a very lovely one on the show last year or so, which is so interesting and also unbelievable that it's taken so long to have something so important. But what was that like for you as an actor? It was quite strange because, <laughs> well, be- purely because one of the intimacy coordinators is an old friend of mine. Oh, no. I, went dra- I went to drama school with him and he and he rocked up um in, during rehearsals and I was so excited to see him I hadn't seen him in years and then when he explained what he was there for I was like okay so you're going to see me naked and you're going to be um choreographing my sex scenes that's that's a little bit weird for me 
So you needed an intimacy coordinator for the intimacy coordinator. But you know what? The the man, the David Thackeray, is the was one of the intimacy coordinators. We also had um, Elmer Calpine and Eater, and they are such wonderful people because it's also the way that they approach it all is so matter of fact. You know, you have to use the correct anatomical terms. There's no hiding behind any embarrassment, and it's just. It's just a job, and the way that the way that they approached it, the way that the care and the precision into what they do, I find it, I find it so strange that it's only a recent thing. Because looking at those scenes, looking at those scenes, I don't know how. And I mean, the fact that it's not been around for a very long time is a little bit weird. But no, we couldn't we couldn't have done those scenes without them. They are such an important important part of this story, and having people there to make sure that you're all right doing it. Is an important part of the job. Yeah, you have a pretty memorable opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will never live that down. <laughs> Was your family like okay? I did. I did warn them. I did warn yeah, them, okay. and I think, I think that, I think that they very, very um, I think they were very careful in choosing when to pop out to the loo or get a uh, cup of tea or. I, uh, but it's it's quite strange having people quote that back to me. Yeah, I won't quote it to. <laughs> oh, I've heard it so many times. <laughs> I love it. What a way to make an entrance. I I know it's your TV entrance. I mean, it's unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> but I and going back to sort of the kids of the eighties, um, someone described in a review that that the kids you portray. Um, are experiencing an emotional lockdown. And I thought that was so strong, such a good way to put it. Their whole lives have been under lockdown. Are you getting reactions from kids seeing the show today? Absolutely. The we I know that we've all had some messages about people who have found it as a great opportunity to bond with their parents over being part of the LGBTQ plus community. And it's... Watching the, the show, the, you mean, together? Yeah, yeah. And opening and opening conversations about HIV and AIDS, opening and the wonder, one of the many, many, many amazing things that I love about the show is that these, the characters are so relatable that you don't necessarily need to be part of the LGBTQ plus community to find bits of yourself in them. They're all they're all just young and they're all just trying to be alive and find their way in life. And I think that as you know, as young people, you can relate to that. And I think. You know, I I know a couple of a couple of us have also had messages from straight from straight people saying, actually, I didn't know that this was going on. I you know I was able to feel the same emotions as them, and it's opened up more conversations with their friends, with their family, and it's really it's really touching to see how this show is just affecting so many different people in so many different ways. Um, one of the things I think that's portrayed so incredibly is the shame, just this shame all the time that impacts, you know, these young people. What did you learn about what was the most difficult to go through? And was it the parents? Was it? For me, one thing that really, really sticks with me is that um, Tracy Ann Oberman as Carol, who is Richie's agent, has the most devastating line where she just asks him, don't go home. Because so many of these, so many of these people that they couldn't tell their parents they were gay, let alone that they were about to die. And I think that that level of loneliness is just eviscerating, really. You can't, it's not something that you can very easily tap into as an actor. And it's, and I think that that's one of the saddest things is that so many, so many of these people died so alone. 
and you know and i i was in a i was in a i was in a coffee shop the other day and the the owner of the coffee shop was telling me a story about a man that she knew in the 80s who went home and she never heard from him again and she hadn't really thought of him in a couple of years and it's it's just very sad how so many people knew people that just disappeared, disappeared just completely disappeared and they never heard from them again and especially at the end of episode two when you have one of the characters whose family are just burning everything including childhood toys and photos and I think that's something that is so desperately sad is you know it's really really difficult to comprehend now Russell T Davis also talked about that how important it's been to him to cast gay actors to cast real allies people who were actually there um was this helpful and important to you as an actor as as an actor it's it's wonderful to be able to play a whole different load of um, a whole different selection of roles and there are certain stories that I think have to be told by certain people and I know that for those of us who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, being able to tell the story from people who've lived through those, not that experience, but exp- experiences that you have to live through. I think that that's, an, I think that that kind of shines through with the show. And I think that that's what kind of drives it home as well. Um, and I think that as the showrunner, it's very different to as the actor because obviously it's Russell's story. Russell wanted it told a certain way. And so for him, it's important to have allies, important to have people who are who are there to serve the story. Whereas, you know, as an actor, I've played Romeo and I've, you know, and then gone to this and it's so you play the ability to be able to play so much. I think you have to have that kind of chameleon quality. But no, it's, yeah, I think it's, it, there are certain stories that, and I think it's one of them where you have to be a part of, you don't necessarily have to be gay to tell the story, but you have to be a part of that community. And I think it's really important because it just tells the story with a form of authenticity that otherwise you wouldn't quite get, because I think that you look at it thinking they're playing a character, they're playing a character, whereas you you want the, you, the beautiful thing about the script is that you relate, you not just relate, but you you know these characters from the moment you meet them. They're people that you run into all the time. I see my friends in them. And it's it's really important that that story is told with truth and with care. I think that's most important with a story like this. It's got to be told with a such a high level of love and care. Hmm. Yeah, and the emotional depth that everyone brings to it. I'm thinking also particularly of, of his childhood friend, Jill Nalder is her name, I think. Oh, yes. yes. Lovely Jill. Um, tell me about her and what she told you about her experiences. I know that she had great discussions with Lydia about it. I I wasn't on set with Jill for an awful amount of time. But she, I will tell you what, she gives such great cuddles. She is a really good <laughs> hugger and it's like really that. wonderful. She's just such a warm, loving person and... You talked to her when the show came out. I sent her a message just saying, "I hope that you are so so proud of what you've done. Look at the story. Look at the way that people are reacting." And she's just the most humble person. She was like, "Oh, well, it was it was all of us." And even to this day, she can't. She she won't say. There's that level of humility is so inspirational because she just did it because she cares. Mm-hmm. She didn't do it for thanks. She even to this day she. She's not expecting anything from this. And that's one of the many, many reasons that we all love her so much is because she is such a friend. She's such a mum. She's just someone that is just enveloped in this beautiful ball of love that is just given without 
any expectations. I love one Jill. of those people that sat there losing person after person and, 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 you know, not being afraid of the situation yeah. and being there for those that were alone. I mean, that's one of the many heroes that we, you know, yeah. you bring forth and it's wonderful that she's on the show too. Oh yeah. She's so, so wonderful. Um, and another thing is, is the sort of everyday homophobia that you can see on the show, just, horrible things just filling out a form and being asked have you slept with men or animals i mean just incredibly horrible um descriptions of what people went through day to day what surprised you about this reading the script the the definitely when one of them was asked have you ever slept with with a farm animal i found that really disgusting like and it's not just oh that's awful i felt a little bit sick reading that line um and the way that they were and just the way that they were treated the the way the whole community was demonized for this and just because it affected them the most and it was it's just and i think that it was just how sad it all was i think that's something that really hit us all quite quickly and we all had a wonderful time filming it and making it and it was always it was was really fun but there were moments where we'd all get quite overwhelmed because of what we were having to live through as these characters. And thankfully everyone is just there for each other all the time. We are still mm-hmm. such, such, such great friends, but there were definitely times when having to tap into that level of desperation was exhausting and just how tired they all were. I think that's something that also really surprised me because they're all work, like they're all fighting so hard and they didn't have an awful lot, which I think is another thing just yeah, I think it's the shame and just the treatment of the community. Just, it shocked me. Have Do you feel that we've gotten better? The other day I was doing an interview with one of the actors from Promising Young Woman. I don't know if you've seen it, but in that case we were talking about it, women, you know, mistreatment and misogyny in women. That one of the reasons is that people still aren't educated. Guys aren't yeah. educated. There's no real sex ed. Do you feel, you know, you're a young person, you're, have things gotten better? Are people talking in another way? I think things have gotten better, but there's always so much that more that can be done. I think that it's only what within the last year or so that the introduction to you know, homosexual sex has been brought into sex education, I think is incredibly important, um, especially when you are a teenager and you are experimenting. I think that although, yes, there have been steps forward, I think that there is so much more to do. I was um, doing another interview the other day and somebody had, and they'd brought up that people are saying, still saying to this day, oh, is there any need for pride? Do we need gay pride? And I think that until that question stops being asked, we absolutely do. Mm. And then we're, we're living through a pandemic, all of us. Um, and there's, of course, certain similarities. But mostly uh, the fact that we are, many people are losing people to something they don't really know what it is. And many people are dying alone. What did you learn about grief making this story? Um, how it affects you in different ways, I think, is one thing that really struck with me. When you look at the death of one of the major characters in episode three, how they all, how it affects them for the rest of the series is really very stark. You know, you have ones who are, who want to fight against it. You have people who want to hide everything. And then you have people who just are, even though their life is hopeless, they're still trying. They're still, and they're all terrified, but they're still trying. And I think that, yeah, grief is, I do find also that grief 
just as as Nathaniel, grief comes in waves. And I think that the way that that's shown in this show is really, really natural and it's very human. Um, because even when you're grieving, you're not going to be crying all the time. You're although you want to be hiding in bed, you are you have, you know, you have to get up, you have to go and, you know, try and live. And I think that's something that Russell's done really, really well with the script. What do you think we can learn um, from what happened from and, and, you know, everything that's gone, how this was dealt with and, and do better? I think that, you know what, I think one thing that really, a couple of things that really stick out from this show and one and what people are taking away, which is just so brilliant, is be kind and show love. And I think that this is a show about people who love each other and it's and the way that they love each other it's all different they all argue they're all young but they love each other so much and actually just be kind i think that that's one thing especially with what's happened in the last year people need to be and also you are seeing that people are being kinder to each other because life is tough life was tough before covid struck and now that it's really just it's really it things are really difficult I think being kind is one of the most important things. Okay, so what did you like the best about the 80s? <laughs> the music and the costumes. Yeah. Music I love the good. clothes. Yeah? The music was you so the... amazing. Oh my goodness, the costumes, the high-waisted trousers, the braces, <laughs> the massive coats. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved that. Even Fulcher, who's the costume designer, did the, is a magician. The costumes of the show are incredible. And oh, they're so good. We, yeah. Oh, they're so good. And every every um, every morning we'd always cram into Lydia's trailer, normally Lydia's trailer, and we'd just dance. We'd just have a dance to 80s music, oh. and it's wonderful. And um, the director, along with, well, mainly Amari, had curated this wonderful 80s playlist that we all had. And what it's bands? Just, oh, Everyone. I'm not very, I'm not very good with music, I have to admit, but um, like, um, oh my goodness, Amari's, Amari's one of the smartest people I've ever known, ever, hands down, but he just is able to pick out the most wonderful songs, and it's, you have like, everyone, oh, it was so good, oh, I loved, yeah, the music, I loved the music, and I find that listening to some of the music now, it just kind of brings back that kind of shot of joy, joy and it's yeah. really lovely. Um, and where, do you know where the lack? comes from um yeah it was a it was a real thing it was um oh, yeah? Russell did it with his friends yeah Russell did it with his friends and I, I remember when we were reading the script at the read-through we were like don't quite know how to how to <laughs> say that um but he taught us how to say it like they did and it's mm -hmm. it's so lovely and it's I didn't realize that it would catch on quite quite so well as it did but it's it's wonderful it's so great <laughs> I love that it's a real thing. I had no idea. So that, um, and you guys, you are, all this success and this wonderful group that, you know, there's so much joy. And how are you guys able to celebrate in the pandemic? Can you see each other? Can you sort of, how are you getting No, we're this? not able to see each other unless we're doing something like a photo shoot together, which we haven't done in a while. We aren't able to see each other, but we are all texting every day and checking in. And last night, uh, last night, that's wrong. Last week, we all jumped on Zoom together and it's all we're all talking all the time and we're all celebrating how everyone is doing because we're all, yes, I mean, it's incredible, but there are times where it's a bit, you know, there, there's so much happening that being able to check in on each other and just being like, are you okay? What's going on? This is so exciting. It's so wonderful because we're all doing this together and we couldn't, and we also wouldn't have done this without each other. So no. 
and we've we've stayed so close ever since we filmed and so yeah we are checking in every day and it's amazing and i love them all so much and usa in a week you guys are gonna like break over there i think yeah i don't 18th 18th i don't really know what's gonna part of me is thinking that it's it's a very british story because it's been told from the american point of view before and this is how it swept through britain and told through very british eyes but then also i think because it's a show it's a a brilliant show that i couldn't be more proud of proud to be a part of and then just the fact that every like everyone is just talking everyone is talking about it it's going to be very odd i mean let's see what happens next week (laughs) oh i'll make you a bet if we talk again in two weeks it's gonna just explode it's gonna be massive really really exciting but yeah i mean watch the space who knows who knows what we're going to be doing next week <laughs> Nathaniel, yeah, thank yeah. you so much thank you for thank you so much taking for your time me. with me and thank you for the series and i really appreciate it i can't wait to see where you guys are headed after this and and the show's success thank you so so much it's been a pleasure thank you so much to nathaniel curtis it's a sin is on channel 4 hbo and other territories and is coming to hbo max in the u.s on february 18th don't miss it and thanks so much for listening to pop culture confidential please subscribe to the show share it and get in touch i'm on twitter at christina biro see you next time don't you know that you're a grown-up I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) I don't know.